chapter 2. I'd like to welcome you to Seacoast. You know, before we move into our time in the Word, we wanted to just pause and pray. There's a lot of pain going on right now, right here in Southern California and San Bernardino, and I think in the lives of a lot of people that have experienced the tragedy of our week, not just the tragedy of the week, but just the pain of the culture, of all that seems to be going on. So can we just kind of unite and just kind of pray for our friends, especially for those churches right in San Bernardino. We have our own friends, the Roths. In fact, Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you come up here? Bill and Patty live up in the San Bernardino area. They work right near where the tragedy happened, right? Yeah. So would you do me a favor, and that is, would you lead us in prayer for the uh, churches, especially up there? What what else? My wife, Dr. Roth, is about seven blocks from the home. Let me, grab, let me grab a mic for this. This is too good. Here we go. Sorry. Totally unplanned, but again. My wife's office was about seven blocks from the home in Redlands that was raided. Helicopters buzzing all over, streets shut down. Uh, my office in Loma Linda was uh, locked down, and we closed our office uh, earlier uh, that day. My staff kind of went into a bit of a panic. I stayed and saw people till 6 o'clock at night. It didn't bug me so much. But uh, we're very aware of my wife was saying um, on our walk this morning how God doesn't necessarily save us from all tragedy, but if it arrives, he walks through it with us. And I thought that was a great word of wisdom. I'm glad to pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do know that our culture is fragmenting because people have turned away from you. And we pray for the people in San Bernardino who were suffering. Thank you for keeping our daughter safe as she patrolled the area. Thank you for keeping people we know safe, but our hearts go out to those who suffer pain and loss. They would sense your presence and your mercy. And we do pray for our culture at large that people would uh, be aware that evil is present and our only hope is in you and in Christ and that you would use this tragedy to bring hundreds of people to you, locally in San Bernardino and Redlands and around. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Okay, turn the word to Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2. We're in a series called Joy to the World. We're in a series in which we're exploring some of the key elements of what is it that gives us the potential to really have joy in our lives, no matter what is going on around us. When we planned the series, we thought of some of the key words from the Christmas story. We talked last week about faith, that to have joy you have to have something to believe that you know is true. In coming weeks, we'll talk about hope. You need something to dream for that you can anticipate. We'll talk about love. You need to know that someone really cares for you no matter what. And we'll talk about the the joy that grows out of faith, hope, love. And today, uh, pre-planned long before this week's events, we talk about peace and what that's all about. So pray with me as we study the joy of experiencing real peace. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance we have to study it together, to learn from you. Thank you that this coming of Christ, this thing that we call Christmas, the Advent, 
the incarnation of God stepping out of heaven and coming to earth as our Savior and our Lord, Father. We thank You for that greatest gift of all. We pray that as we understand it more deeply, that You would bring to our lives a deeper version of joy. We ask that in the name of Christ, uh, who is our hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, follow along or just listen as I read. Because before we go into the message, I want you to capture the essence of what was going on when the angels showed up that night. You'll recognize this part of the story. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, a a sign, a proof, a miracle for you. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared to the angel a multitude with the angel of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight right now to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lie in a manger, a food trough. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement about this child that had been told to them by the angel, and all who heard it, wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as it had been told to them. Their excitement was the fact that God had revealed to them through this angelic appearance and this message, which climaxed with this heavenly host singing, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth goodwill toward man god is pleased god is excited god is showing up and he saw a miraculous sign to prove that the message really was a message from god because the the oddity of it is they would find this heavenly king this savior this messiah not in a palace not in a not in a fancy crib but in a in a food trough wrapped in rags because that's not the way kings normally show up so for them to have that predicted by angels and to, to see that they were, they, were, they were convinced that it was real because it happened just as it had been told to them by the angels. But the reality is when they showed up that night, their excitement was that the Messiah was coming. The Prince of Peace was coming. The one who was going to bring peace to Israel and set up a kingdom of peace and and, and goodness and and all of that. And, And this was happening that night. This was the launch of that. But the scene that they found was not a peaceful scene. It looks peaceful on our on our you know our depictions of Christmas on our Christmas cards and our paintings of the manger and everything else. It looks like a peaceful scene, but it was anything but peaceful. It was a surprise. 
I've uh, had the privilege of uh, being in the delivery room for only three births, and I really don't want to watch another one. But if it is anything but a peaceful experience, ask, amen? Will the women of the, of the room vote, amen? Yeah. It's anything but a peaceful experience. It's a wonderful experience. It's a gift from God, but it is a painful experience. It is a messy experience. And that is exactly what they would have experienced when they showed up that night as shepherds. They would have seen a bloody mess. They would have seen the messiness of birth. They would have seen a baby that didn't have baby clothes, sleeping in a, in a, in a place because there was no room for them. So instead, they're in a stable surrounded by animals who are doing nothing but eating and doing what animals do when they eat. And that was the messy, smelly environment into which Jesus was born. So when we think that Christmas is this story of this kind of real peace on earth and goodwill to men and everything is just cute and everything else, no, no, no. The coming, the very coming of Christ was very much, very much a painful, messy experience. But yet one of great joy because of what it promised to the world. Peace on earth. The next day those shepherds went home. <clears throat> they went back to work. And when they walked the streets of Bethlehem or the streets of Jerusalem, which wasn't too far away, they would have seen the same Roman soldiers abusing the population, taxing the people, controlling them, ruling them. And they maybe began to think, so when's this peace coming? Because I don't see the peace. Without a doubt, a few months later, when Herod got threatened by the birth of someone that was proclaimed to be the king of the Jews, okay, a new king has been born for you, and the wise men show up from the east, and they go to the capital city of Jerusalem, and they go to the, they go, they go to the palace, because that's where you expect a king to be. When they said, where's the king that's been born, king of the Jews? We saw a miraculous sign to prove it. We saw his star in the sky. And so Herod gets threatened and, and he lies to them. But you know what he did a few months later? In just a few months later, Herod said, I can't have a new baby being raised up in the midst of Palestine that's the future king of the Jews because that's kind of my job. So threatened by that, he slaughters one day the babies. He sends his soldiers throughout the land to slaughter every baby two years and under. And if you're the mom or dad of one of those babies or the neighbors, there was wailing, there was mourning, there was pain far beyond what was experienced in San Bernardino this week. And probably people began to say, so what's up? with the peace where's the peace I don't see it we were told that the shepherds said the angels promised that the peace was coming but where's the peace Jesus would grow up Jesus would mature Jesus would begin his ministry Jesus would begin to teach and travel and do miracles but even then you would see that where's the peace might be the Lead question of the day. Jesus himself rides into Jerusalem right before his 
his crucifixion, but he rides in, he's celebrated by the people, they welcome him on that Palm Sunday experience. Remember that? His triumphal entry. And now, finally, his followers are thinking, okay, now the peace is about to come. He's going to take control. We're going to have peace in the land. The Romans are out and God is in. And, and so, you know, Messiah's here. So, wow, the peace is coming. And then only days later, they see Christ dragged with a cross through the streets, shamefully crucified on a cross, and you got to know they were saying, so where's the peace? Because I don't see it. I think even then, and we know that that story has a good ending and that Christ came forth from the grave and he rose from the dead to prove that he was the Son of God, to prove that he was the Savior of the world. So his resurrection happens, but even after the resurrection happens and they begin, the church begins to grow and expand, then guess what? Uh, the church in Jerusalem comes under extreme persecution. And they're being dragged out of their homes. They're being beaten. And some of them are being crucified. Some of them are being put to death. The church begins to spread around the Roman world, but even then persecution is cranked up as the church expands and you got to know that a lot of people said, you know, what ever happened to the peace? Where's the peace? Is something that I think people in our culture today are asking. Especially at this time of the year, I noticed a couple blogs and a couple uh, uh, Twitter postings that kind of went viral this week. In our world, you probably saw one or two or three where people responded to the fact that our politicians see the death and the slaughter in San Bernardino and their response is, you know, uh, God, please bless and God, please be with them and God, please comfort them and, and God, would you please help stop the violence? And as one posting on the Internet said, uh, it's not working. Where's the peace? Is something that our culture is asking. Where is God? Is something our culture is asking. Some go even further and they'll say, didn't these people kill people in the name of and for their God? So God's not only the sol God's not only not the solution. Maybe God is the problem. Maybe people that take faith in God radically is the problem. Last time I checked, as a follower of Jesus, I take my faith pretty radically. Maybe you and I and radical followers of any religion are the problem. You say, Dale, why go into this this much? Well, I think it's because as we pronounce and share with our culture that this Christmas, we're talking about Jesus Christ as the hope of the world as the one who provides faith, hope, love, and peace, let's talk about it today. Let's understand it today so that when you interact with your people at work or at school and they go, you know something, I, I'm kind of kind of done with all of this religious stuff because of the violence. Let's answer the question, where's the peace? So we're going to look at peace in the story of Christmas, but also in the rest of Scripture to try to answer three basic questions. Number one is, what is peace? When the angels proclaimed, 
peace on earth, or whenever the Scriptures say grace and peace to you as a common greeting in the New Testament, or when we talk about peace, number one, what is it? Number two, not only what is it, but where do you find it? When you understand what is it, where do you find it? Then we're going to talk a little bit about, so what difference should it make in our everyday lives as we as Christians try to be? I mean, Jesus kind of calls us out to be peacemakers, right? So what's that mean? What's that mean to be peace in the midst of the culture and to experience it in our own lives? That's a lot to cover, so pray for me. Let's go. Here we go. Let's begin in the Old Testament and talk a little bit about this thing called peace. What is it? My favorite Old Testament passage is Deuteronomy chapter 6 on this. Deuteronomy 6 is kind of a blessing or a prayer that was given to the priests of Israel to pray over the people. And it's inspired by God. It's an incredible passage. You've probably heard it before. So let me just read it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn and follow. If not, listen closely. Deuteronomy 6 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Moses, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them. And this is the blessing they were to give. The Lord be with you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance. Let Him smile upon you and give you peace. So they shall invoke My name on the sons of Israel and then I will bless them. This concept of peace, the most common word in the Old Testament is the word shalom is something that God lays out as something that He desires for His people to experience. In fact, He promises them that this is one of the ways that He will bless them, is by giving them peace. Now, when you compare that to the New Testament also, uh, in the New Testament, the most common word, which I've given you in the outline, if you're taking a few notes, is is irane. And irane is, is a word in Greek that often is used and translated... Um, in, in Greek, it's a little more the absence of conflict or war, but that that Greek word is used in the translations of the Old Testament. In other words, remember, the Old Testament was written predominantly in Hebrew, right? Okay? But then in the time of Jesus, the Old Testament, there was a major translation of the whole Old Testament into the Greek language. Uh, for those of you that like history, it's called the Septuagint or the LXX, if you want the abbreviation. And and it helps us to understand the Greek language by comparing how they used it in that day to translate the Hebrew language. Make sense? So it shows us and adds another layer of depth on how the times before Jesus and into Jesus' time, how they used it. And the big observation is this. 250 times, Irene is used to translate the word shalom. In other words, they were viewed at the time of Christ as virtually synonyms so it helps us understand that in both the old testament and the new testament what you're dealing with is this concept of shalom and and here's what you need to know that shalom in the old testament is not the absence of conflict it's much richer than that it's a word that one commentator uh, if i were to summarize pulling together what several the the scholars wrote on this, it's this. So peace is not just the absence of battles or conflict, but the presence of blessing and well-being from God. Now let that soak in a little bit. Because if I'm going to say grace and peace to you, or if I'm going to pray that, that God might grant you peace, it is not 
the absence of battle or conflict, but it is the presence of God's blessing and the presence of the well-being, the general wholeness and well-being that grows out of God blessing your life. It's interesting that as Jesus used this word for peace, we begin to see that in the way Jesus used it as well. So let me now go from this concept of if this is what peace means. Uh, in other words, another, let me give you one more way to say it. It is not the absence of strife. It is the presence of a confident calm that comes from knowing that God is there and that He's with you and that He's blessing your life. So it's that confident calm that you can have even if you're in the midst of warfare. Got it? That's the key idea. Now, when you look at Scripture to say, so where do you find it? It's obvious in the passage we've already looked at. Let me just glance again back at the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the rest of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in number 6 that we just read, it is always rooted in a relationship with God. That when you read Deuteronomy 6, what you discover is this, is in Deuteronomy 6 that real peace must be beyond my circumstances. It's not rooted in what's going on around me, but it's rooted in what's going on inside of me. It is rooted in my relationship with God, and then it flows into the rest of my life. So when we think about peace and where we find it, uh, it is rooted in my relationship with God, and then it flows into my life. But it's something that's more internal that flows out instead of it's outside and flows in. That's kind of the difference. Now, if you track this, it's obvious that Jesus was using it in this way. That the type of peace Jesus wants us to experience and that's promised is, um, is that peace that transcends what's going on around us. How do I know that? Let me look at uh, a couple other passages. Now, go to the Gospels with me. Uh, we see the angels pronouncing in... Luke 2, the promise of peace through the coming of a Savior who is Christ our Lord. We see Christ the Lord in John chapter 14. Go to John 14. If you have a Bible, flip there. You need to mark this. John chapter 14, Jesus is spending his final long teaching segment with his disciples. It's called the Upper Room Discourse, but it's a long read. If your Bible's like mine and the Jesus stuff is in red, how many of you had Jesus stuff in red in your Bibles? Okay, yeah, okay. I met a guy on a plane one time, by the way, that wasn't a Christian, but I met him and we were talking about spirituality and, and, and he said, hey, you know something? He, he didn't know I was a pastor, but he said, I just discovered the coolest Bible because everything that Jesus said is in red. So I just read the red parts because you know, I don't like the black parts, but I do like the red parts because I like Jesus. And I said, well, you know something? I agree with you. Keep reading the red parts, but I actually like the black parts too. You know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not prejudiced. I like the black stuff and the red stuff. So, you know, and, and he said, okay, maybe I'll try that. But he was into Jesus, and that's true of a lot of our culture. It's true of a lot of our culture. They realize, I, I don't like Christians. I don't like Christianity. I certainly don't like church. That's what a lot of people say to me these days. But, you know, I still kind of like Jesus. And if you listen to Jesus describe this peace that he's offering, it, this was his final big segment. That's why so much of chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are almost all read because this is Jesus really sharing with us his heart knowing he was about to die. 
knowing he was about to go back to heaven to be with his heavenly Father. So this is a very important, rich section of Scripture, John 14 to 17. And notice, though, that in it, Jesus addresses peace. Pick it up uh, in verse 25 of John 14. It says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, since I'm with you. But the Helper, but I'm getting ready to leave. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. But let your heart not be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Because I want to give you my peace. And he says it's different than the world's peace. Jesus goes back and refers to this again in John uh, 16.33, flip the page in your Bibles, John 16.33, or scroll up in your app if you're using an app. John 16.33, Jesus says this, He says, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each of you to your own home, and to leave me all alone. And yet I am not alone because my Father is with me. So Jesus is predicting His upcoming crucifixion. He's telling them, you guys are going to be scared. You're going to scatter like scared children. You're going to all go and hide. But you need to understand that even as you scatter and you're going to leave me alone, I'm not alone because my Father is with me. And then he says this, these things I'm speaking to you so that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So Jesus tells us, look, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hard times. Things are going to scatter you. You're going to be persecuted. In another place, Jesus said, guess what, guys? You're going to watch that the world is going to hate me, crucify me, persecute me. And if you're one of my followers, what makes you think you're not going to catch some of that? The world hates me, and at times the world will hate you. But you know something? You can still have peace even in the midst of that. So Jesus is obviously talking about a peace, as we say in our definition, that transcends uh, problems and tribulation and trials and pain and even the slaughter of innocent people. Jesus is saying, I want you to have a type of peace that's different than what the world is looking for, which is simply the absence of conflict. But I want you to have a calm, confident peace inside of you that changes you. So that's what he's promising. It's very different. Very different. If you go to the rest of the New Testament, uh, my favorite passage, which I put in your outline for you to read this week, is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm not going to go into depth on it because Ryan's already done that, and you ought to go back and listen to Ryan's sermon on this passage from just three or four weeks ago in Ephesians 2. Uh, he talks about the peace that Christ provides for us. Pick it up in verse uh, 13. He talks about the fact that apart from Christ, we have no hope. We're without God in this world. But, verse 13, Ephesians 2:13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off from God have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what? Peace. 
He is our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles alike, these different ethnic groups, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the strife. In other words, Jesus himself, through his death, uh, is, is, brings peace even between people who are at war with one another. He is the source of peace. He's the source of peace between us and God and the source of peace between us and other people. And Jesus is our peace. That's one of the words used for him. So it's Jesus that's in the middle of us experiencing this type of peace that we are talking about. So that's the point. So where do you find it? We're there. Let's back up a little bit. Where you find it is this. This real peace that's beyond circumstances is rooted in my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and then it flows into my life. So now, point three in the outline. What difference does this make? Well, how do we actually experience this peace? Uh, let me walk it through this way. Number one, we experience it because first you need to experience peace with God or peace in the presence of God. So we'll go back to peace in the presence of God, okay? Let's back up to that. Favorite passage on this is Romans. Romans chapter 5. There we go. Peace in the presence of God. Romans chapter 5. It's on the screen. Let's read it together. It's so great. Ready? Here we go. Are you ready? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Now, I love some of those phrases. He says, having been justified, it's the word that refers to the fact that when you come to faith, having been justified by faith, not by our works, not by our goodness, but our faith in Christ, we are made, the simple definition is just as if I'd Never sin. Helps me remember it. Justified. Look at it. Break the word apart. Just as if I'd never sinned. And it's even more than that. It's also, it gives us the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. So now God the Father, we studied this in Ephesians uh, earlier this fall, has adopted you as his child, blessed you. You are living as an adopted, blessed child of God. That's what it was talking about in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers 6, when it says, real peace comes from knowing that God's smiling on you. May His blessing be upon you. May he, His countenance be lifted up upon you and, and give you peace. You know, is, it's rooted first in knowing that I'm at peace with God. If I'm not at peace with God, I'll never have peace with life, with people, or for eternity. But if I know that I'm at perfect peace with God, God is not my enemy. God is way beyond just being my friend. God is my father. He's my Abba father. He's my dad. And he loves me like that. With an unconditional love that's just rooted in his choice of adopting me as his child. That type of peace is mine if I have put my faith in Christ. That peace is mine on the very best day in which I'm being spiritually minded and sacrificing to love my wife and putting others first and being generous and being the type of person that God wants me to grow up to be. 
when I'm imitating Jesus, that peace is mine. But the even better news, that peace is mine on the day that I have a bad attitude and I act like a jerk and I think just about me. I'm the only one in the room that ever does that. But just allow me to counsel myself, okay? But if you ever do that, you need to know that if you've placed faith in Christ, you have perfect peace with God. That's peace. That goes beyond the circumstances. See that? If I have that, then it can flow into the rest of my life. But before I do that, let me give you a quote that I, I was thinking this week about conflicts in general and warfare and our culture. And it made me think about the fact that the best that our culture can usually do is not provide peace but provide ceasefires. And I thought, what's the difference in a ceasefire and, and the type of peace that God provides? And here's a, here's a little quote for you to think about. Real peace takes more than a ceasefire. Ceasefires don't work because they're always conditional. If you don't shoot at me, I'm not going to shoot at you. We both agree at midnight, no more shooting. Right? Happens all the time. But it breaks apart because somebody shoots. Somebody takes a shot. Somebody fires a rocket. Somebody does this. Happens all the time in Israel. Right, Ryan? I mean, that's what happens. Somebody breaks the ceasefire, and when one person shoots, ceasefire's off, and we're back at war. Now, if you think about that as a principle, I think a lot of times in our culture, husbands and wives, just, you know, okay, we're kind of not getting along real well. Let's call a ceasefire. It's Christmas. I'll be nicer to you if you'll be nicer to me. You know, and that works for a while until one of you is a jerk, and one of you just kind of loses your cool and mistreats a husband or a wife or, you know, you do something that's not real loving and then it's like, okay, if you're going to treat me that way, then I'm not going to love on you if you're not going to love on me. And, then, you know, and, 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 and that's how people try to do marriage. That's why marriages have strife and conflict that destroy them is because if all you can do is call a ceasefire and try harder, you never get there. But whenever you have a relationship with God that's beyond this, you need to understand that grace is different than a ceasefire with God. When God gives grace to you and adopts you as his child, he's not saying, hey, Dale, I'm going to love you as long as you, as long as you toe the line and you are a good guy. I, you know, you got my love. No, no, no. God unconditionally loves me. And he says, I'm going to love you when you are being good. I'm going to love you when you're being bad. You are my child. And that kind of love unconditional is what we call grace. It's a gift from God. And when I'm at peace with God as a result of grace, then I have something that's really transforming in my life. Number two, if you take that approach to other people and to problems, it begins to change everything. Secondly, we can have peace in the presence of or even in spite of our problems. That's why Jesus, to use again our passage, look at John 16, 33 again. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is letting us know, guess what? The world is a sinful, painful place, and you're going to experience some of that. But don't fear. I've overcome the world. I'm going to be with you. As Bill prayed, I'm going to go through the pain and through the suffering with you. And I can give you peace that's bigger than your problems. 
So now when we encounter problems in life, we can have peace. Where else do I see that? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. A great passage that says, when you are having problems, um, don't be anxious, but pray and pray. Let your prayers and, and petitions be given with thanksgiving. And as you pray with a thankful spirit in the midst of problems, it says, and the peace of God that surpasses human understanding will guard your heart, it's the emotions, and guard your mind, how you think, in Christ Jesus. So when I put my trust in this God who loves me always, I'm at peace with God, then knowing that God is at peace with me always, that I live under His shalom, I live under His blessing, I live with His love, knowing that, then I can respond to my earthly problems differently. And I can pray about them and know that God is with me and He can give me a sense of peace in the midst of problems. I think that's what people are looking for. Number three, he gives me peace in spite of my problems. He also gives me peace in spite of people. Because oftentimes, people are the problem. Amen? Yeah. Isn't most pain caused by people? I mean, there's other parts of pain in our lives. Most pain is caused by people. Most pain is caused by people like me. Or like you. Because we all at times still sin. We all at times still wound other people. Colossians chapter 3 is my uh, favorite verse on this one. Because Colossians 3, turn over, flip over to it. You've got to go past Philippians. Colossians 3, uh, pick it up in, in verse 12. He says, hey, you are a chosen child of God, holy and beloved. In other words, you're at peace with God. There's the peace with God peace that always starts. It says, now put on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, that's all good. But then he gets into the meaty stuff, the messy stuff. Bear with one another, which implies that other people are hard to live with, right? Forgive one another, which implies someone else has wronged you and needs to be forgiven. And do that. Whoever has a complaint against anyone else, forgive them just as the Lord forgave you, so you forgive others. Beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, and then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So you can experience at the heart level the peace of Christ when you are willing to be forgiving like Christ to the people that hurt you and wound you. If you don't do that, you're just left holding grudges. We're left wanting to get even. We're left wanting to, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And when you do that, you have conflict, right? You have constant conflict. And you don't just need a ceasefire. You need to take the same peace you have with God through grace and give it to others. You experience His grace. And guess what? With the power of Christ within you, you become a grace-giving person. When I'm able to forgive people when they don't deserve it, when I'm able to give up the need to get even, which, by the way, is what the Romans 12 passage is about, you'll read it if you do the daily encounters with God this week. Do those. I encourage you. You'll learn more than you learned from my sermon. Because it talks about don't try to get even. Don't seek your own revenge. But let God handle them. In fact, it actually says leave a little room for the wrath of God. 
which I like that. You know, don't do God's job. If they need to be punished, let God do it. You don't have to do it. And man, when I bring that into my marriage, when I bring that into friendships, relationships, when I bring that into the life of the church, when I bring that into my relationships with people at work or school out there in the world, okay, in the workplace, when I'm not living to always settle the score and get even and get what I deserve, you know, then I can experience peaceful relationships. So you see, it's all rooted. Peace with God and knowing that that's the gift of God's grace. And then I apply that to be at peace with my circumstances because in Christ I'm okay. I don't need for everything to be perfect. With other people, I want to imitate Jesus and I want to give grace to them, which brings more peaceful relationships. We can forgive one another. We can have more harmony and peace in our relationships. And But you're still left, like the world, maybe asking the question, yeah, but will there ever be a time in which peace on earth, goodwill to men, really becomes our daily reality? Will there ever be global peace? Because I think that's what Jesus was promising, and I think that's what the angels were celebrating. Because they looked from heaven, and they said, this is step one. A Savior has been born, and this is the beginning of a process of bringing peace between man and God and eventually bringing peace between people and other people and eventually bringing peace to the entire planet. I think that's the promise. So you go to Revelation chapter 21 and read it this week. Because in there it says this, there will come a time where God will say, enough. Enough is enough. I am tired of the killing. I am tired of the slaughter of the innocents. I am tired of the sex trade. I am tired of injustice. I am tired of all the crappy part of planet Earth that's rooted in our sin and our disobedience to God and false religion and everything else. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. And the Bible says the only reason God hasn't done it up to this point is says He is being patient, desiring that more will come to repentance. More will come to experience life in Christ. God is being patient he is not blind to the, to the tragedies and the pain of planet Earth. So when people think, where's God? Isn't God watching? God is watching, God is grieving, and God is offering to help us live in a painful world. God even promises us to give us peace in the midst of the pain. But God is being patient with humanity. But there will be a point where God will wipe out sin and evil and God will recreate what's called the new heaven and the new earth. Read it this week. In which he says there will no longer be for eternity any more pain, any more suffering, any more death, any more crying, any more sorrow. But Jesus Christ will come back to planet earth and establish perfect peace forever. It is coming. And if you have your faith in Christ, that is our hope. It's not in politicians. It's not in ceasefires. 
not even in gun control, no matter what you believe on these issues, it's in Jesus Christ. So we need to keep pointing ourselves and our people, our friends who are full of questions. Where's God? Where's peace? What's up this Christmas? These sound like shallow little mythological songs in the midst of a world in pain. But no, 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 they're real. Just as Jesus is real, the peace is coming. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the promise of peace. Thank you for how even now you give us through Christ peace with yourself. You give us peace with life and our problems. You give us peace with those that even hurt us and wound us. And someday you will provide global peace. But Father, in the midst of that, you call us as your church to be agents of peace, to be peacemakers, and to model to our world what it means to trust in the one who gave himself for us. So Lord, as we move into a time of communion now and Bill leads us, thank you that we can close this service focusing on the basis, the basis of our absolute peace. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. And we worship you around that now in Christ's name. Amen.